I told you all this back in our preseason sermon series in August, but I have always loved practice more than I loved the games. It was less stressful. I knew I would get this repetition. In volleyball, I loved my teammates. I was so lucky to have really great coaches. And I know this might sound crazy, but I loved, I loved doing drills just over and over and over. And my volleyball coach in college, Bill Walton, believed that if you could receive, serve well, then you would always be set up for a great offense. And so at the beginning of every single practice in my entire college career, we would do the drill of serve, receive over and over and over again. And I remember getting to the point, it's at some point in the season, every single semester, realizing I didn't even need to think about it anymore. My body would just do what it needed to do. We had done it so many times. And then it began to give me this confidence when I was actually in the game because I knew, oh, I've done it so many times, I'm going to be successful at it. And that's what we're doing here during Lent, is we're just going to be doing a lot of kind of faith drills, if you will. We're going to be practicing our faith. Praxis, which is the the title of the reading guide in our sermon series, praxis just means the practice of an art or a science or a skill. And so throughout Lent, we are going to be practicing our faith specifically using the spiritual disciplines as modeled by Jesus. And here's the thing, we, we made sure to call it praxis because this faith thing that we're doing is supposed to be alive. As a follower of Jesus, it's not like we reach any point, like, you know, our confirmands are getting confirmed next Sunday. It's not like come March 9th, the day after, they've arrived. And so they don't have to do anything after that. We know that this life of faith literally means to continue to live it and to practice it. And so we're going to look at seven different practices, finishing on Easter Sunday with the practice of celebration. But what I, what I, what I was reflecting for today, you know, you're going to come some Sundays and be like, oh, I know about this one because it's prayer, something we all have done in churches before, or when Stacy's preaching in a few weeks, it's going to be about scripture, and next week, Claire's going to be teaching about service, and these are going to be things that we kind of expect to practice. But then some of the other ones, like surrender and simplicity, I think that, at least in my life, I'm a little out of shape in those practices, and those spiritual muscles have become atrophied as priorities of life have taken precedence over that. And this is going to be especially true for today. The practice of silence. We're going to look at how Jesus models that for us, but first, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I am so thankful that you are the model, that you are our example God, help us to see as we study your word this day the importance of these practices and specifically the importance of just getting away to listen to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you a heads up before 
<clears throat> we look at the scripture because it's really important to know the context right before the scripture that we read in verse 13. Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth and he was rejected there. And then the very next passage in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist, his cousin, his friend, is brutally murdered. Jesus is given the news, and this is where our scripture picks up. Now when Jesus heard this news about John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, when they heard that he was going to another place, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. I want to pause before we go to the next passage. You just, he's going to take it down for me. Right after this, Jesus comes ashore, and at this point, there are about 5,000 people gathered. And this is, at this exact point in scripture is when Jesus does the miracle. There's five fish and two loaves, and he feeds the crowds. That miracle is over, and listen to what happens. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, the one that he had just brought over, and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So twice in a day, Jesus has tried to be by himself, to pray, and to sit in silence. What I want us to see is that even for Jesus, fully human, this was pretty hard to do just because of the demands of his job. <laughs> he has heard this tragic news of his friend, of his cousin, and what he's wanting to do is to get away in his grief and figure it out and process it. I imagine he wants to sit before God and say, what are you thinking? In such an awful way, John the Baptist was beheaded and his head was served on a platter. In his moment of extreme grief, Jesus needs to withdraw by himself. And so he goes to this lake, gets to the shore, he gets inside a boat and I imagine his disciples kind of push him out into the middle of the lake. Well, Matthew doesn't give us a lot of time from him getting into the boat until suddenly there's crowds. Because Jesus is out in the middle of the lake trying to be alone, and he must have seen them, you know, accumulating. Or maybe he heard them. Maybe they were shouting to him. And, and I wonder in that moment, why didn't Jesus just drop anchor? Why didn't he just stay out there for a little bit and enjoy that alone time? No, not our Jesus. The scripture tells us is that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. And so he goes to shore and he gets out and he, out of his abundance as the divine, does this miracle. But Jesus doesn't just say, oh, well, that was supposed to be for another time, that silence and that, and that praying the scripture is clear is that after he has done the miracle, he returns to it. And he goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. Finding time 
alone and in the quiet was hard even for Jesus, and he didn't even have a cell phone yet. Jesus models for us this practice of solitude and silence. But what does it mean to practice this? Does it mean that we have to try to find a place in our home that is truly quiet? That's impossible. If we're quiet, then, then someone else is making noise or our air conditioning is turning on or we hear the birds or the refrigerator. Are we supposed to like set a certain time? And if you're really spiritually mature, you can do it like for more than one minute. What is it, is, how are we supposed to do it? Are we supposed to sit in like a lotus position and, and open ourselves up and have our hands out? Do we have to breathe a certain way, like two breaths in, four breaths out? What I want to make sure that you hear today is the practice of all of the disciplines of our faith. I'm sorry to any of you type A's. I can't give you a list. It's not a checkoff. There is not one way to do it. It's literally in the name. All we have to do is just practice it, to just do it. Have you ever thought how our very bodies are antagonistic to the practices, though? For some reason, God gave us eyelids. We can actually close them. We can rest our eyes. Why, through the process of evolution, were we not given ear lids? <laughs> we, we, even though some people in my household might say they haven't heard me at times, even though we act like we might not be listening, we can't turn them off unless we've aged and they begin to go, or because of a trauma to our ears. We don't get to choose when to stop listening. And this brings me to what I believe is the first obstacle to the practice of silence, is that we all just talk too much. Have you ever had a friend that when you check in with them, you ask all the questions, and when they tell you about the wonderful things in their life, you say, oh, that's awesome. And then when they tell you about the horrible things, you say, oh, you poor thing. And then at some point, I guess they're done, and they say, well, I'll let you go. And then I walk away and hang up, and you're like, wait, I literally did not tell that person one thing about myself. I, they know nothing more about what's going on in my life, and I know everything that is going on in their life. And as I began to get really judgmental and make the list of the people that do that in my life, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, when I talk to God, I do the same thing. In my quiet time in the morning, I go before God and I, I do the acts thing. I adore God. I confess to God all the places where I've messed up. I'm thankful to God. And then I have my huge list of all the things that I need. And then guess what I do? I say, well, I'll let you go, amen. Get up and get going with the day. Just sitting before God without an agenda, without a checklist, it is so incredibly challenging. And yet, when we are silent before God, that is when maybe we might be able to listen. 
Spiritual director Daniel Wolpert tells us why silence is necessary for us to listen. Listen to what he says. He says, when we go to sit in silence, when we turn our minds to the creator, we begin the process of allowing God to be the center of our world. And usually, we like to occupy that place. The second obstacle to us practicing silence, at least in my life, is that silence is being alone with God. It's just not as fun as the other spiritual disciplines. I don't even know what to do in it. I mean, if if we are going to practice the spiritual discipline of praise, Oh, we sing, we know what to say, and before we know it, we're filled, and we fill with the Holy Spirit, and oh, you want to serve. Oh, we love serving. That discipline is so great. We have these great intentions, and then we see the benefit, and sometimes it's actually tangible, people smiling and saying to you, thank you. When we pray together as a community, do you ever feel like inertia, like, man, all of us praying together, I bet you God hears it better. These spiritual disciplines seem easier than just the silence, being alone with God, just being silent before the Almighty. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to expect from God? What are we supposed to focus on? There was this man a long time ago who was told by God, I want to have a meeting with you. And so the man went out onto the mountain and waited for God. And as he waited, he knew God was going to come in a big way because he served a big God. And suddenly this wind came up on the mountain and rocks began to fly around him and pieces of mountains around him literally flew off. And the man said, wow, God, you are so powerful. But God wasn't in the wind. And the next thing this man knew, the ground underneath him began to tremble, and he saw the earth split before him, and he thought, wow, God, you are a force. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then all the brush on the mountain with him suddenly was in flames, and a scary wildfire began to blaze around him. And the man thought, wow, God, you are awesome. But God wasn't in the fire. And then it happened. The sound of sheer silence. This scripture from 1 King reads that the man, the prophet Elijah, when he heard this sound, he covered his face with his mantle, for he had been before God. Elijah was told to go out alone to a mountain to meet with God, and he had all these expectations for what God was supposed to be like, but it was just in total silence that God came. This story and Jesus' example model for us the importance of practicing silence and solitude, but let's get real practical. How do we do it? How do I turn my brain off? I want to encourage you, find what works for you, but this is what I want you to know. Practicing silence does not mean showing up to stop think, to stop thinking, or showing up and turning your brain off. It's not 
not thinking. It's about what are you thinking about. It's not turning your brain off. It's what are you turning your focus and your brain towards. What is the intention of your thoughts? Practicing silence means coming before God with no agenda, no to-do list, except to breathe and listen. Kyle Bender was telling me that at his girls' elementary school, they have a moment of silence every day. And they have been encouraging the children to practice belly breathing. They've been encouraging them to practice silence. The church invented this. The people of faith invented this. You see, what schools realized and what our God realized long ago is that when we breathe and sit in silence, our anxieties are calmed. Things that we're concerned about come into perspective. The, the, the speed and the adrenaline that is making us make decisions or act impulsively is slowed down as we focus on our breathing. And you know, in the Hebrew, at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, it tells us that the Spirit of God covered over the earth the word for spirit is ruach, breath, the breath of God. When we focus on our breath, we literally are focusing on our created being. We're going to practice it now. I wonder if any of you have a big decision that you're trying to make or a relationship that is continuing to be tenuous or you have a test this week. We're going to practice some silence and just sit before God listening. What helps some is to focus on a holy word. And I want you to know it's going to be tempting in silence to talk at God. And if you do, that's okay. Because God can handle that. God's just delighted if we want to be before God in any time. My prayer, though, is that as we practice silence, that we would just try and listen. So I want you to go ahead and close your eyes this morning. I want you to think of a word that resonates with you. Peace, hope, love, holy, Jesus. Spending the next moments in silence, take a deep breath, and as you breathe in, focus on your word. And as you breathe out, release all other thoughts except for God. <laughs> 